warm welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Kaylin Lee, who has so much to share about better management of unproductive anxiety, which is an increasingly common concern. In the past, Kay says she's been up there with the best of the best when it comes to doing anxiety. Welcome, Kay. Oh, hello, Bev, and thank you very much for having me. It's great for you to be here. So tell me a bit about yourself and what it is you do, Kay. Well, there's a couple of answers here, to be honest. Um, The most relevant answer is that I'm a personal coach and trainer, and I've got a a passion around well-being of others, but in particular, a passion for assisting people who are suffering anxiety, depression, or dealing with bullies. So I like to help them become unflappable. But I also have a corporate life where uh, I'm a senior leader and an executive Um, in a finance organisation and there I utilise coaching within the workplace. But I I would like to just uh, temper that with I'm not a doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I am very experienced in anxiety and in getting past it. And how would you describe your journey to where you are today? Yeah, look, everybody has a story and mine is one of a young girl who found herself at the centre of an event that involved three men who wanted some favours and who put a gun to my head to convince me that I needed to provide provide them, I suppose. And that happened when I was 14 or 15. And I guess I managed quite well after that event. Um, I didn't really speak up about it to anybody. But over the years, it caught up with me and I developed um, a lot of anxiety that went over time from kind of mild to really unmanageable and then to disabling. Eventually, at around the age of 18, 19, I went travelling and I returned home after about three months because I recognised that I was pretty disabled at that point and unwell and needed help. And so I guess for my journey, I, I was you know, really lucky because I came across a fabulous Indian GP who took me in pro bono and he really taught me to find the resources I needed to get back to normality. And he did that through hypnosis and a lot of other types of modalities that I now like to use in my toolkit. Um, And he also rebuilt my self-esteem, which at the time was, was pretty broken, I suppose. So, yeah, I guess that's a lot of my journey. And then I guess the Knowing that when you're in an anxiety state, an anxious state for long periods of time, your frontal lobes are not really working as they should. So, you know, at a time when I was really going through the later years of school and lots of uh, hormones would have been kicking around in my body, I guess my learning ability was relatively impaired. So, you know, I left I left uh, high school without the right qualifications to get me into the particular university degrees I would have liked to have gone in had I been able to listen more and um, forge a 
you know, forge more of a, a studious uh, background to get me somewhere at that point in time. So very luckily, I'm really blessed because I have forged a great career despite not making university back then. Um, and it really came down to what I was taught that has now um, given me an avid interest in coaching so that I can um, go and on teach that to others. So, you know, I now have a postgraduate in neurolinguistic programming. I've done trainers training with Inspirative and the founder of NLP, John Grinder. Um, I'm qualified in Ericksonian hypnosis and I'm a student of clean language and I have a number of other sort of modalities under my belt. And so that's what I use to uh, help others who may um, have been in places where I have been or who just anxiety has just got out of control. Fabulous. And so what is your perspective on unproductive anxiety? Yeah, I think it's interesting you mention unproductive anxiety because uh, anxiety can serve a very useful purpose. And when you're dealing with people, you really want to retain the positive purpose of their anxiety. And on, on the other hand, it's a spectrum that kind of goes from, you know, worry at one end and then it goes to towards anxiety and then fear and then to where I was, where basically I was agoraphobic and no doubt through a bit of post-traumatic stress. So, you know, I think it's, um, it's a, a huge spectrum and it does impair memory and concentration and I think it does pot- potentially lead you into those um, depressions if it's, if it's left un- untreated. Um, And, you know, for me, I knew I wasn't functioning well, but I really didn't know how to get past that. And like many people in that sort of state, they they don't necessarily speak up and look for help. They just shrink their lives almost. And in a a way, their world shrinks rather than expands because um, they don't know how to get past it. And what sort of language are we using if we're in that unproductive state of anxiety? Well, they're definitely looking at the past. If they're in an anxious state, then they've been there a long time, then they're likely to be very negative. So they're using a lot of very negative language and they don't tend to have a goal or an outcome that is bright and and beautiful that they can sort of see, hear, feel and smell and and therefore get to. And they, they spend a lot of time in what they don't want and, of course, You know, to get somewhere, you have to spend more time in what you do want rather than what you don't want. And so you'll notice that in the conversations that they have. But in terms of anxiety itself, it is anxiety is about something that hasn't happened yet. So it is a future kind of state. So it's about, you know, I'm worried about an exam coming up or, you know, and I might fail or I'm worried about, you know, meeting my new in-laws or it, it tends to be around something like an activity or a person or and you know that anxious part of people really wants to to know about certainty but they don't have certainty and so they worry and get anxious. Will it be about uh, real or imagined things you know that reaction is it perception around something that might happen and it's you know based on a past experience how does that come about? It could be about something that has happened in the past that is still there and morphs itself into other facets of their life for the future. 
but it could just be about something that they're worrying about in the future and they have got a vivid and very creative imagination about what could happen that most of will not happen. Um, And I think that's a really interesting point because, you know, it shows how creative the mind is to be able to think of all of those things that could happen but might not. And often somebody who worries a lot and then develops anxiety or find is has really kind of practiced it. So it's kind of become chronic. They didn't they don't mean to, but it's kind of like they've gone to the gym and built one strong arm muscle, but instead they've spent a lot of time thinking about the things that could go wrong and therefore that that muscle have got exercised and it then kind of gets out of control. But it's definitely a future-oriented thing where, you know, whereas fear is right now, you know, you're being confronted by a bear or a tiger or something rather than um, it's in the future. That must be really discomforting at many levels. But what are the sort of side effects for people with anxiety issues? Um, Well, the fact that it can become a snowball is one huge side effect. But another thing is you might develop a fear of the, the fear itself, the feelings itself that it brings upon you. So an anxiety attack, you know, eventually you might be fearing the anxiety attack, not the original pattern that was set up. And so, you know, that and then the fact that you're less resourceful and you have got that impaired ability to learn. So, so if you take a, a corporate situation where somebody might be being bullied, for example, and develops an anxiety around that, then that anxiety stops them performing at their best. And so it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that ends up happening. So they're not performing. So then they're told they're not performing and it's a kind of a snowball. Maybe it would help for me to understand further is if you could walk us through ways of how people have tackled the anxiety. So we've got some tangible examples. You know, if there's a person who is having difficulties with a a manager or a particular person, uh, you could, um, for example, build them a really strong metaphor that they could anchor and it might be a suit of armour or something that they want and something that they can really um, embrace and feel is quite vivid and then you can help them trigger it when they see that person so that it provides them a shield effect. That's one sort of thing. Being able to get different perspectives for other people might help, particularly if they might have, say, a fear of public speaking. There's a a lot of um, options to pretend in your head that you are doing it the way you would like to do it rather than the way you fear you might do it. And once you're able to get them to imagine that, then they can they can do that in reality. Um, you know, I've had people who've come with family events that have caused a family to break up and that's given them a constant rerun in their mind about about the words that people used and the anger that was involved. And being able to get that person to literally climb on a ladder and using their imagine looking down at the event as though they've got, you know, binoculars that are on back to front so that so the event is so far away it's got no impact. Uh, I've had people come to me who've had particular 
times of the day when they've got anxious and that's been triggered through something that has occurred at that particular time of day and you know getting them through that time of day by having a resourceful state and anchoring it for that time can work and then you've got people who might need to be taken back to the past where they had some event and resourcing themselves with their grown-up knowledge and then kind of growing them up through their life again can help. There's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of ways. Or if I take a minor issue, say uh, my daughter who's studying medicine might have upcoming exams and she might get nervous about those exams, so it's a future thought, but she can control that by, because anxiety is in the future, she can be, if she keeps herself in the present the anxiety doesn't take hold. So she can do that by being really curious about what's going on or by using truisms and um, or changing the tempo of her emotion from, from um, faster to slow. And how would she do something like that to change the tempo of her emotions? Well, let's say... Let's say you were, she was sitting waiting for an exam to begin, which might be the height of, you know, where the the nerves might occur. Thinking about, you know, what may happen? Will I pass? Will I fail? You know, because it's all it's all about that those different options that may or may not occur. You know, she could talk to herself about, you know, um, I'm sitting in the classroom. Um, I'm um, listening to the lecture, I'm preparing for my exam and by saying things that are true and that are happening right now, she's keeping herself in the present and she's not, um, she, she's not thinking about the future and then she can slow down her emotions uh, by doing some belly breathing uh, where you, you, know, you breathe very deeply and you push out your belly as you breathe in and that sort of massages the stomach and so that slows the pulse of that emotion from being uh, fast to slow. I love what you've said there about the two things of being in the present and using the breath to actually slow things down because that's obviously going to have a really good effect on the amygdala which will then change the hormones and neurotransmitters so that's sort of really at a quite a physiological level calms the body, not just calming, you know, something else to think about. It's actually physically making a change in the body too. Well, it is definitely all of those things are related and we know that the things that we think and um, our body posture uh, and all of those things are interrelated and all of those things tend to then create the behaviour that comes out or the outcome, if you like, of what happens. So, you know, if, if I give an example, um, I remember as a young girl being anxious when I um, saw shepherds, Australian shepherds, they look like kind of wolf-like to me. So, you know, I might see one and go, well, that makes me feel, you know, I, it looks a little bit dangerous, it looks like a wolf, or that makes me a little bit anxious. And then my body posture is is changing in that that time, and then the dog's looking at me, thinking, "Well, you don't look, you, you're not, you're not reacting like everybody else does. So there's something wrong with you." So then they're getting anxious, and then you've sort of set up, if you like, um, the perfect storm. And then you know, in the end, the dog 
you know, might leap at you and attack because you, you're not looking normal to the dog. But in actual fact, all of that started with your thought. Fascinating. And that, so it's that whole process where the interaction and so often that whole change of physiology can, can work. And in fact, there's this really wonderful Charlie Brown cartoon where he's talking to Lucy and he's walking around hanging his head and his arms, you know, down on his sides like a gorilla and he says, I'm so depressed. And Lucy says to him, oh, Charlie, put your head up and look at the sky and put your arms up, you know, in an embracing manner. And then he does that for a minute and then he says, oh, he said it takes all the joy out of being depressed when I do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that because it's a really great example of posture um, taking control of your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, you described some of the trauma of your teenage years. So this may be a difficult question to answer, but if you could talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you share with her to put her on a path of lifelong well-being? Look, I would say that there, for those few things, I suppose, that you can't influence in life, and there are a lot you can, and if you have an event or something that, you know, you haven't, has has dealt you a blow in some way, then you have to take the most positive life lesson you can from it and learn. I mean, how can you make that thing you didn't like have happen add value to your life? And I think um, for me, I would probably say I should have spoken up at the time. I should have spoken up early. Um, I... I have to own that I didn't own up to what was happening and if I'd done so earlier, it would have probably kicked it off before it escalated to the point that I think I was pretty disabled. And so, you know, it is important for people to deal with something, especially if they have some traumatic event, to deal with it as soon as they can. Um, But also to just go, how can I I make that useful in my life? So... We know that there's the story about react or respond and you talk, you know, if we think about someone like Rosie Batty, she's a perfect example of somebody who's taken something really ugly and really horrid that's happened to her and said, well, how can I make this something of use for the future? And that has given her purpose back. And that is a really great example of somebody taking something very negative and making a positive. So tell me about your coaching with people challenged by anxiety and why it's so important to you. Well, it comes down to me for that well-being um, is an assistant, I suppose, if you like to call that, to living longer and living a, a more fully functioning life. And there is a lot more... Uh, anxiety in people's lives these days I think Um, and people want to be fulfilled and move past things that that don't serve them so coaching people who are challenged by anxiety is extremely satisfying if and when you remove that anxiety um, because the anxiety has those side effects that we've talked about and you know when you get them past that you you get more self-love more creativity, more of their ability to give love and be who they really are. And then if, if they're fulfilled, then they can um, 
express themselves in the in the life that we lead in a more positive way and and seeing that makes me really fulfilled and to me I think about it a bit of the doctor that helped me and it's like paying it forward that's the best way I can put it it, it paying it forward helps that's just fabulous I love that and Kay what are your tips for living fabulously uh, to think about your approach to life and the links of well-being from it, from a physical, mental, spiritual and emotional perspective, to put that all together to be fulfilled and have that authentic life. And I interpret that in a way to be your best life, have your best life, be everything you can do that can keep your well-being well-rounded and focus on what you can do and not what you can't do. And I, I think that... If you focus on what you can do and not what you can't do, you're going to you're going to always feel good. And I, there are a lot of people. If you see somebody who has a physical disability, um, if they forget about the disability, but they think about, well, what can I do with this disability? You'll see they seem to be more fulfilled, and then they have that total well-being, um, and they have that that greater perspective of putting all of those things together and yeah look I I see it that hopefully most people just have um, a lot less anxiety than perhaps at the point where I got to and do something about it before then that that is my key message if somebody can do that because I think there is a lot you can do to stop this a snowball and um, you do want to be able to give more of your life. And certainly for me, I can see that there are um, a number of years of my life where I, I lost who I was. And in fact, I worked for a hospital um, during those years. And at the um, when, when I was really healed, I left that hospital and the, the nursing administrator gave a speech about me and she said, oh, you know, when Kay came here, she was an absolute wallflower and she's just come out of her, her skin and um, has become a really bright, bubbly person. And I, I sort of had to have this little giggle to myself because she didn't know that I had absolutely grown into my own skin and what she saw at the end was me. <laughs> but I didn't, I hadn't seen that me for such a long time. That's the truth of it, isn't it, if we're not living in our purpose? Yeah. So you can find Kay at her website, which is www.mindandbodyconsultancy.com and also on Facebook under Mind and Body Consultancy. I love the idea that if you practice truisms, things that are happening right now in the present and use your belly breathing, you can actually circumvent that circuit around the anxiety and to focus on what you can do and not what you can't do. That's just such a beautiful thing. Thank you so much, Kay, for sharing your journey and inspiring us today. Well, thank you, Beth, for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening and I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. 
Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.